many people have been asking me, how do I get my podcast up and running that quickly? Well, the secret is Anchor. It's the easiest way to make a podcast. And it's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. It can also help you to distribute a podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. And you can make money from a podcast too, with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. If you're interested, find out more. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hello everyone and welcome to HR Academy, a podcast where we tackle all things HR in the Asia region. I'm your host, Adrian Tan, a HR entrepreneur and a recent HR tech advocate. In each episode, I interview prominent HR leaders to find out about their thoughts in human capital, their biggest HR accomplishments, as well as their favorite failures. My guests include HR leaders from Grab, Grumfus, Changi Airport Group, and many more. This episode is brought to you by Engage Rocket. In an ideal world, your employees are happy, love working for you, and do great work all the time. But in the real world, your star performers leave without warning and managers struggle to get the best out of their team. Meet Engage Rocket. They're an employee survey and analytic platform. With Engage Rocket, you can track morale and get relevant management tips the moment you need it. Imagine having the answer to a happier, more motivated workforce at the click of a button. Survey, engage and retain talent in real time with Engage Rocket. Email them today at hello at engagerocket.co for a free personalized demo and discover what Engage Rocket can do for your organization. Just put Adrian's podcast in the subject header to receive a secret 10% off discount code just for your company. Email hello at engagerocket.co today. Alexander has spent more than 14 years in coaching and human capital consulting across Asia-Pacific. Before starting her own practice, the Kabloom Group, she spent more than 10 years with Corn Ferry Hay Group. Her work includes collaborating with high-growth companies in Shanghai, Hong Kong, Singapore, and ANZ, helping them to deliver programs across the full talent lifecycle. Okay, welcome to the show, Alex. Thanks, Adrian. Good to be here. Thank you very much. So before we begin, perhaps you could share a bit more about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. I'm pleased to. So I am a consultant with a company called Kabloom Group. We are a boutique talent management consultancy based here in Singapore. And uh, we're operating all around the Asia Pacific region, doing a lot of coaching, uh, talent management consulting, a lot of facilitation work. And we've also got some talent technology uh, in the works. So watch this space. That sounds very interesting. So, uh, is it convenient to mention who your clients would be in this space? Sure. Well, we work with a lot of rapid growth companies. So, they're typically in the technology and the consumer space. So being in ASEAN, there's a lot of growth in that, in that sector. Um, but we work with clients across industries. So, we do have some financial services, some agribusiness, some manufacturing. Um, predominantly, I see we're working with clients who are really going through a change, whether that's um, some investment, some um, acquisition of another company or uh, realignment of their services. Mm-hmm. We just, um, we're best when we're working with clients who are going through that, that uh, reimagination of themselves. 
I see. So, so currently, which countries do you cover? So we're based in Singapore, but we're working with clients all around Asia Pacific. Mm, okay. So let's go back to when you first started off your career. Uh, mm-hmm. Could you share with us what's your first job? Sure. So my first job was as a recruitment consultant based in Sydney in Australia. Mm-hmm. And um, it was a really good opportunity, actually. I finished my um, bachelor's degree in psychology in Australia, and I had the choice as to whether I was going to go into my master's degree straight away and become a career academic or to move into this job in recruitment and, and actually, you know, earn a bit of money and pay back the, the loan on my um on my uh, student expenses. So I decided to go into recruitment and it was a great first paycheck because it taught me sales. <laughs> I thought I was a psychologist and a HR professional. And um, now looking back, I'm just incredibly uh, thankful actually that, uh, that I got to learn sales and that business, uh, business experience right off the bat. So you basically step into HR the day after you finish your school. Yes, I uh, I finished school in November and I think I started my job on January 1st, so wow. no, no rest. <laughs> okay, so could you share with us your transition from the job uh, as a recruitment consultant in Sydney to what you're currently doing today? Yeah, absolutely. So I worked as a recruiter in Sydney for the first two years of my career. Mm-hmm. Um, I then took an opportunity to move up to Shanghai within my company. We had a joint venture in Shanghai and I was the first employee that put my hand up to go and work on the ground. So that's actually where I made the transition from client-facing recruiter to in-house recruiter. Mm-hmm. So I was still working in the same company, but in Shanghai, I, um, I worked client-facing for a while, but as I started hiring and building out the business with the management team, um, I quickly transitioned into an operational role. So taking mm-hmm. on learning and development, performance management, and the recruitment as well. So that's where I, I made the leap to the in-house. From a Sydney market to a China market, uh, what are the key challenges that you faced? Oh, wow. So this was back in 2007. So things have definitely changed in both of those markets since then. But I would say moving from any market, the, the key for me is the cultural agility or cultural awareness. So in my mind, that really comes down to communication, to being able to ask questions, listen, be curious, get underneath the skin of a culture by, you know, making friends and speaking with clients and um, having an openness in your mind. So I think the thing that, well, I, to be honest, at first I really struggled moving to mm. Shanghai. <laughs> I was quite young in my career. Okay. I thought that I was a pretty hotshot recruiter and, you know, the China market was bigger than me. So I think one of the things that was really useful in the end was me just being quite humble, <laughs> um, being willing to learn, and uh, and and as I said before, that listening I can't overemphasize. I see. Okay. So going back to your current job at uh, Kabloom, uh, how how would you describe your typical workday? Oh well, typical workday is very client focused. Um, I'm mostly doing business development as well as execution on client engagement. So typical day would probably start out first thing in the morning with emails, usually a coaching conversation or a client meeting starting at 8 a.m. I will spend two to three hours in the morning, usually either doing some facilitation or some design work for a facilitated program. Um, I might spend one or two hours over my lunchtime doing some research, you know, reading up on journal articles and, and what's happening in the in the media in our space just to make sure that I'm fresh on on our industry trend. I'm getting getting good insights there. 
And then in the afternoons, I might have, you know, another coaching engagement, one-on-one with the leader, um, more facilitation work or another client meeting. Uh, evenings are usually client drinks or, um, yeah, again, more coaching with people who are overseas. So, the, the coaching work that we do, some of it's face-to-face, some of it's remote. So I definitely have coaches or coaching counterparts that are based all around the world. So those those meetings can be at all hours of the day and night. So no no day is different. No day is the same, I should say. <laughs> that sounds interesting. But it also sounds like a, a very, very long working day there. Yeah, it's true. But I think when you hit on your passion, it, it just flies by. So I'm enjoying it. Makes sense. So, uh, across your career in uh, HR with the different companies that you've been with, uh, what would you say to be your proudest moment in HR? Mm. So, I've had a lot of proud moments and they come in the very small moments when you see uh, a member of your team have a breakthrough in their learning or have success or when a team member gets really good feedback from a stakeholder. I think you know, all of those accumulate to a sense of pride. Um, for myself, I, I did my master's degree here in INSEAD um, in Singapore. It's a, it's a master's called Coaching, Consulting and Change. And uh, I did my thesis on a topic um, related to the career success of millennials in uh, China, in a PRC. So I really enjoyed that topic. I was really proud to get a distinction what I did with that topic was because it's so related to our world of work and in HR, we're all scratching our heads saying, one, what do we do with millennials? And two, how do we make sure that we're tapping into all the great talent in the China market? So in my work, I was able to bring my thesis back to my office, give the insights to my bosses and my, my internal stakeholders as to what our China colleagues might be motivated by and engaged by. Mm-hmm. Um, we brought a lot of programs into the workplace to make sure that we were leveraging those insights. Um, as a result of that too, I was referred on to some external clients who were also thinking about the same topic. So in particular, I went and presented to the leadership team at Goldman Sachs and their internal uh, management consulting team called Pine Street mm-hmm. presented to them on the findings of my research, what we what we were seeing in Corn Ferry and, and how we were applying it to our own stuff mm-hmm. and got really good feedback from them on the insights to the point where they messaged my uh, APAC president and told them how um, how pleased they were. So personally, that was quite a, quite a good achievement. I think it was a lot of hard work to get that insight. Um, and you know, it pays off stakeholders recognize when you've got genuine insights to share like that. Mm, That's amazing. So for the benefit of listeners, would you be able to share one significant insight from this thesis that you believe, uh, would be most useful for the HR practitioner out there? Oh, absolutely. So when I was living in Shanghai, the stereotype of what young people in China were looking for was money and um, let's say glory, right? Like a a lot of face and a lot of flashy things. Um, They were even stereotyped as being job hopping or little princes, let's say, so very precious. And managers were saying, how do we actually get them to work hard? And my insight was, well, you, you get the best out of people when they're actually motivated, when they're interested in the work, where they feel encouraged and they feel supported and, and they're actually locked in to the value message of your company. So the insight that I got from my thesis was what actually motivates this group? <laughs> what do they want? And what are they, what are they, you know, what makes them tick? So 
what I was able to find through a lot of, uh, a lot of one-on-one work, uh, a lot of group work and a lot of, you know, research, uh, independently with, with, with colleagues on the ground in China was that they're really motivated by lifestyle. It's not necessarily the money and the flashy things that they want. It's really a connection to the leader and then the opportunity for long-term lifestyle success. So people had a tough, tough life in China for, for several generations. It's been quite a, a hard working experience and they're, they're incredibly hard workers. So something that's very motivating to the people there is knowing that in the long term, they will have opportunities for leisure, opportunities for, you know, comfortable retirement, opportunities for travel. They're very motivated by time in the environment um, and home and family. So being able to recognize these lifestyle motivators and bring them into the workplace, encourage family lifestyle, encourage work-life balance, encourage time off, uh, was was really uh, a useful insight. I personally would never have guessed that those are the things millennials <laughs> and PRC would be would be emphasizing on because it sounded very much like the millennials over in US. They're looking very much at the lifestyle, into the flexibility, going around the world, doing work in a very distributed manner, and yeah, it just sounds so similar. Yeah, that's true. I think. Uh, Millennials globally, there are some similarities that we see in terms of them being very motivated by meaning, being motivated by valuable work. They're not just working for the sake of work because they feel like, well, we'll always we'll always find a job, we'll always work it out. If we don't have a corporate career, then we'll create a pop-up shop or we'll find a, another career or we'll go back into the family business. So millennials don't feel so locked into a one career trajectory or, or a traditional career ladder, let's say, they feel like they have options and they don't want to be bound um, to, to one job or one company necessarily. So, yeah, we're seeing a lot of similarities globally. And, and in fact, um, where Chinese youth used to be quite collectivist and American youth used to be quite individualistic, we're actually seeing those two paths um, crossing now with our American colleagues being a lot more uh, into to team sports and team collaboration and China having a lot more individuality with the um, one child policy and, and a lot of different social initiatives that are there. So, yeah, all interesting and, and I'd say one big mashup across the millennial spectrum. So m- moving on, I would like to find out from you, what do you think would be one of the key top challenge that is facing HR today? Hmm, so... I don't know that this is a new challenge, but it's something that I see as still being really pertinent that I don't think we've gotten right yet, but we're, we're still continuing to work on it, that's for sure. And that is how we really provide strategic impact for our, our companies and our stakeholders. Mm-hmm. So we all know that there are functions within HR that are must-haves, the insurance, the policy, the control functions that are essential for, for making sure that um, – people are supported with with the documentation and the, and the infrastructure that they need. But in terms of taking that next step up to really make an impact on the growth of the business, the alignment of the leadership, the engagement of staff, we know that there needs to be a lot more around the, the strategic talent management functions. And that's where innovation and really bold thinking has to come in. It's also where very strong leaders in HR need to be able to come in, have a a seat at the table with Mm. their other counterparts, with the head of sales, the head of marketing, the head of finance, et cetera, and really demonstrate, well, without this human capital, we don't have a business. So how do we make sure that we're enabling that? 
um, having a voice through HR and really showing that we're a business enabler and a business partner, um, not an administrative function, which are all important things that have to be done in the company, but that we've really got that, that value add on top. Hmm, I see. You know, I was actually uh, speaking at an event about a few months back and we were touching on this topic as well. And so mm. I was asking, so if we want to go into a more strategic position, how do we begin? Uh, my tongue-in-cheek answer was, you got to start claiming credit for everything yeah. that is happening in the organization. If the sales director is doing well, hey, you got to claim credit for that because you are the <laughs> one who interviewed and brought that person in. But it was really more of a tongue-in-cheek answer. So professionally, what would you think would be your personal recommendation for companies that's looking to tackle this challenge? That means for, for HR who recognizes this problem and like to get a seat at the board or try to Im- make some influence to make sure that HR is being recognized more strategically. What do you think is the mm. first baby step the department should take? Well, what I found was valuable in my previous role, I was reporting into a president of APAC um, and what I found was valuable there was if I could come to him with challenges that I was seeing and with the solution to it before he perhaps considered it or even occurred to him. So rather than being reactive, uh, you know, making sure, of course, that my business as usual and all the functions within my team were were optimized and, and running super effectively, but then looking for opportunities above and beyond that to say, hey, boss, growth is our strategic imperative at the moment. Here's what I see as a hindrance from a human capital perspective, and here's the solutions that I'm putting in place for that. So being able to see here's what's on that boss's agenda, Um, being able to read between the lines and and really know what's the direction they're trying to take the business, come back to the drawing board and say, from my own talent team, how would we how would we tackle that challenge and then come to them without them without them having to ask for it? I think that's the first thing is is to be able to reframe ourselves in a different light and reposition ourselves as that um, that business advisory council, I would say. Um, the next thing I, I would do is to be able to bring in measurement. <laughs> we often have um, uh, measurement around recruitment time to fill, uh, attrition, turnover, et cetera, things like that. We sometimes also have our engagement rates um, or, or other, other metrics around performance. Being able to get a lot more strategic with how we manage our data and the insights that we drive home through our data, that's the language that the business wants to speak. So from sales, it's very easy for them to demonstrate impact because one, it's client facing and two, it's extremely measurable. So if we can demonstrate from a HR perspective, how we can have that same enablement of the client facing work and that same level of measurability, I think that that's a, that's a step in the right direction. I completely agree on the leveraging of data to mm. paint a better picture across because for, for the longest time, uh, people still have the sentiment that HR is more of a feel good kind of thing that you put in the organization but many times it's really about using the right data the right structure to put things in place mm-hmm. the right decision and, I, and I've seen a lot of uh, technology coming into play here as, I'm, as I get to see many different HR technology that gets introduced to different HR departments I, I'm very certain you would have seen some as well so on the technology front have you seen any one any HR tech that impresses you the most? Oh, well, I've seen a lot of HR tech across all our different functions. So um, whether it's recruitment, performance management, the the L&D space, um, there's innovation happening in each of those silos. Rather than pointing out any one, I would say that what I'm wanting to see from this market is how it integrates. 
So as a practitioner, even as a human, an individual person, there's only so many tools I can use. There's only so many, (laughs) at a practical level, only so many user passwords and logins that I can have. Some of these tools integrate with our you know, our mainframe HRIS and others are independent or standalone. So I think there's only so long, no matter how good that HR tech is and how impactful it can be, there's only so long before people get fatigue of too many tools. So what I'd like to see from this sector and from HR tech, and I'm going on to a couple of the, the, um, uh, the conferences coming up, including the HR tech tank coming up in Hong Kong and Singapore. So I'll post this, this note to the guys there too. But I want to see how they integrate this technology so that it becomes a total end-to-end candidate and employee experience Mm. Um, because we're definitely moving into that space where it's a consumer product. You know, previously, HR technology was really catering to the organization, how we as HR and the company got more insights, got more uh, data, were able to manage people more efficiently, moving off paper-based, et cetera. Now we're seeing a shift where these HR tech companies are really starting to cater for the user, which is the employee or the candidate, which is great. But I just ask that they don't forget us in HR that if if we're the buyers, we need to still be able to integrate this into a seamless um, one system use. (laughs) So that's what I'd like to see in my imagination. I don't think we're there yet. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, I actually came across this website and it lists Mm. down the number of applications that a specific company is using. I'm not sure how they managed to track it, but mm. uh, if I'm not wrong, I think the last I checked, Uber was like using 120 over different solutions. Oh, I'm not surprised. <laughs> even if you split it across the, the num- a small number of, or even a huge number of departments that they have, it is still a lot of different solutions there. Interestingly, in one of my previous episodes, uh, my guest was telling me, oh, my favorite HR technology is Microsoft Excel. Mm. <laughs> and I understand where it's coming from because it's easy to use it integrates with everything out there and the best solution is really the one that you would use mm, I agree I think a lot of the solutions we've got some great bells and whistles right now and they, they, they do impressive things but what we need is simplicity and I think right now we're in an innovation phase where we've gone for complexity so hopefully simplicity is the, the next phase there yeah I hope so too in your HR career, I'm very certain it has been very challenging as well, uh, moving from places to places. Besides the highlights of your career, which you mentioned earlier on, what would you reckon to be your favorite failure? My favorite failure was actually a leadership um, workshop that I facilitated, uh, probably going back about two years ago. So. In this workshop, I had uh, done a lot of work. The president had explained to me what he wanted to see. There was uh, a facilitator involved. There were several other leaders from around the region involved. Um, there was a marketing person and, a, and an operations HR person involved. And I felt like I had a very clear vision of what the leader wanted through this leadership program. He wanted to be able to shift some of his leader's mindset from a fixed risk-based business-as-usual mindset to a forward-looking, growth-based, much more bold mindset. So we knew the objective and the sentiment that we were trying to shift. Um, I wasn't seeing that the other members of the project team were were jumping in. And so I was really keen to make sure that this project uh, had the impact. I had a vested interest in making sure that these leaders uh, had the support that they needed and got a good experience through the program too. So I took on quite a lot of work. 
um, designed everything from end to end, propped up several other people in terms of their content. And unfortunately, I was one of the presenters as well. I was due to present my HR or my talent strategy at this at this conference. And I think because I'd sunk so much time into preparing the actual program and the the um, the format itself, I hadn't spent as much time on preparing my own talent segment <laughs> presenting. So of course I had all the material because I had my strategy already in place, but I hadn't had enough time to really think about how I was going to drive my messages home, uh, how I was going to, to the earlier point around simplicity, how I was going to reduce down some of my content and make it seem like it, like it encompassed everything that my stakeholders were asking for, but it, that it was simple and elegant at the same time. Because as we all know in HR, every different stakeholder has a different need and we're, we're trying to show them all that we're, we're hearing them. Sometimes we can't accommodate everyone, but at least we want to show them that we're hearing them. So I probably included way too much in that presentation. Mm-hmm. Um, the feedback that I had from my boss at the time, and, and he gave this to me while I was on stage, while I was <laughs> presenting. So I was standing in front of all of the executives and my, my peer group in this business his feedback to me was I asked Alex for a bicycle and she's designed the Starship Enterprise. (laughs) (laughs) And I'll never forget that feedback because it stung. And I thought, oh, I've tried to show everyone that I was listening. And as a result, all I'm showing them is that it's too complex. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was really valuable as a failure. (laughs) One, because I learned that I can't pick up everyone else's work because it means that even though I get um, the right outcome for the boss, that I sacrificed my own um, my own m- moment and my, the work that I'm actually accountable for. Uh, and I also learned about uh, how, how to deliver a message in a more simple way, showing people that, that you've got something that's comprehensive but yet not over overcooked so that they feel like they can assimilate it into the, into the business. So since then um, – I've always just made sure that I took time out to review what is it that I'm presenting? What's my personal brand and my personal stake in this mm-hmm. so that it's actually representing that, that simplicity that I, that I have a personal uh, affinity for. <laughs> I see. Well, it, it sounded like a really hard lesson, but definitely a very useful one. Definitely. I'll always remember it. <laughs> so it's, it's done, done the trick. Yeah. So, and, and across your career in HR, I'm, I'm very certain you have come across many different HR leaders, business leaders that had presented themselves to be a role model or had coached or mentored you uh, or had influenced you the most in what you are able to do today. Uh, th- does any one of them stand out when I mention who would have influenced you most in human resources? Um. I don't have any icons in mind who are specific to human resources because I feel like we're in a multidisciplinary area where we need to take inspiration and ideas from such a variety of, of different um, different areas. So I, similar to, to you, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. Um, I take a lot of insight from those podcasts. So there's one by, hopefully this isn't compromising to you, but it's very com- complementary to the to the work that podcasters do. There is a, um, a coach and psychologist uh, named Michael Gervais based in the US. And he's someone who I listen to a lot, even though he comes from a psychology background, he's not necessarily in companies or organizations. Um, he deals a lot with performance and he is looking at, what makes mastery? People who are on the quest of mastery, who are really driven to um, 
continuously drive excellence and to be disciplined in their field? What is it that makes them tick? So I found that his insights and his inspiration has been really valuable to me. Um, in terms of a person closer to home, the president previously who I mentioned gave me the feedback about the, the Starship Enterprise. Although not a HR person, I've probably learned some of the best HR um, uh, insights from him because I actually think as HR people, we have to be business people. We have to stay close to our businesses. We have to know how business works and how people think and what the levers are that, that make that, that company tick. So he, my previous president actually came from a company called EDS. Um, and in that company, he'd explained to me, look, we actually don't have much HR. All the leaders took responsibility for HR and it was the best HR company I've ever worked in because we were all accountable. So he came along with a lot of ideas as to how, how he wanted to drive a leadership culture, how we wanted to um, support and enable high potentials, uh, how we drive mobility, how we create energy in the business. Um, and yeah, so I'd say if I had to put a word on it, he would be the person who's influenced me most in HR, despite he himself not being a HR person. <laughs> awesome. And if, if you have the opportunity to drive across a HR message to business leaders today, uh, what would you say in the message? Stay close to the business. Don't, don't get too wrapped up in HR for the sake of HR unless mm -hmm. it enables your business. Understand. Okay. And for people who may be looking to pursue a career in HR, do you have any advice for them? Oh, well, as I said, I think that we need to have very broad interests. So be a sponge, <laughs> listen to as many podcasts, as many uh, eBooks, you know, read as many books as you can, keep an eye on the newspaper, read what's happening in the world. We have to be constantly taking in new ideas and, and getting a, an impression across across the board about what's relevant to businesses and the, the market. Um, stay close to your stakeholders, whether that's coffee, lunch, you know, informal interviews, you know, sit in on as many interviews as you possibly can just to ask questions and, and be constantly learning. Um, what else would I say? I don't, I, I, although I believe in education and I love education, I don't actually think education is the most important thing. I mm -hmm. think that we, we learn a lot on the job through our businesses and through that, that university of life. So mm -hmm. keep, keep learning from your company. That's what I would say. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. We're running to the end of the show, but before we end off, uh, where can people find you online? Yeah, sure. So they can find me on, I've actually got two names. So Lamb is my married name and my um, my family of origin is Andoni. So just to confuse people, you can find me on either <laughs> name. <laughs> so on LinkedIn, you can find me as Alexandra Lamb, L-A-M-B. And on Twitter, you can find me as Alexandra Andoni. So it's A-N-D-O-N-I. Awesome. So all this information will be in the show notes. Thank you very much, Alex. It was really nice Thank talking you so to much. you and all the best in your new job. You too. Thanks, Adrian. Welcome. This episode is brought to you by Engage Rocket. In an ideal world, your employees are happy, love working for you and do great work all the time. But in the real world, your star performers leave without warning and managers struggle to get the best out of their team. Meet Engage Rocket. They're an employee survey and analytic platform. With Engage Rocket, you can track morale and get relevant management tips the moment you need it. Imagine having the answer to a happier, more motivated workforce at the click of a button. 
Survey, engage, and retain talent in real time with Engage Rocket. Email them today at hello at engagerocket.co for a free personalized demo and discover what Engage Rocket can do for your organization. Just put Adrian's podcast in the subject header to receive a secret 10% off discount code just for your company. Email hello at engagerocket.co today. Thank you for listening to the HR Academy. I hope you enjoyed this episode and many more to come. I would really appreciate if you could leave your feedback and review on iTunes. That will help in letting more people know about this podcast. If you'd like to learn more about HR, go to my website at adriantan.com.sg where I write about HR and HR technology.